Welcome back to another episode of Church of the Geek. Tonight, Sam and I are on our own once again. I don't know why they keep letting us go on our own, Sam. Um, no one has stepped in and stopped us. <laughs> That's how I it works am. Usually. Right? Yeah. So if you're new, this uh, I am Brian Bennett, campus pastor here in Pittsburgh. And Sam, introduce yourself. I'm the uh, Brema coordinator and chaplain with Bridges Hospice, also in Pittsburgh. Excellent. Sam. And recently published, oh. if I might add. What? What? How, where? There was a uh, one in uh, in a Canadian um, multi faith uh, council, like had picked up a article that I had written on my blog like years ago on how to you know get a start in chaplaincy, and they picked it up and were like, "Could we include this in this book that we're publishing?" And I said, "Sure." And so, yeah, and it's, it's like a page and a half out of about 500, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> so it's publication is a publication. I was a, a publication is a publication. So adding that to uh, my resume. Yes. The resume. So hospice chaplain podcast host published writer nice oh dad and husband too and dad and husband too yeah the, all those those little blah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and what have you been up to recently uh just you know limping along uh trying to keep on keeping on mm-hmm. you know some sometimes things are rolling super smooth and sometimes they are not and i'm somewhere in between so but mm-hmm. uh it, it's uh we have a good um have a good a uh good things going on at work at the campus ministry that's good some challenges the campus ministry because mm-hmm. it's campus ministry why would it you know right why would why would everything be good but it's all right you know and uh life at home is life at home it's you know you, you, you take the good you take the bad you know how to go nope i screwed it up <laughs> you, you, you oh yeah them both and there you have yeah oh, and there you have the facts of life that's that it up? i because it's because it's almost 10 o'clock at night sam and i just finished well that's true uh, um, our uh, our big meal night here at the campus ministry. Uh, every Thursday night we do a, a midweek meal, followed by what we call God Talk. And tonight the the question that we were approaching was uh, does uh, uh, does Fido go to heaven? And oh, so, and how did that go? It was. I mean, it was all right. I, we use it as a. I use it as a way to begin um, talking about how do we approach. I mean, we approached that topic, and and the way I approached it then became the the model for saying, sometimes there are there are things that Scripture does not address specifically, right? And rather than mm-hmm. trying to pick and choose a verse here and a verse there to try and support a way to respond, 
uh, I use it as uh, a situation where what is the narrative the scripture is trying to tell? And then how does the thing that we are talking about fit into the, into the, the story of God um, rather than let me find the, let me find the right rule. Um, so a little bit mm-hmm. of a different take for, for, for folks who are usually used to thinking of like, well, the Bible says this at Romans four twenty seven, which I don't even know what that is. Cause I'm, but you know, um, rather than <laughs> I'm just, I, you know, but just picking verses yes. here and there. All right. And then, and then we have the big demolition derby, of uh of uh, verses and then we see what's left when everything when all the dust clears like that's mm-hmm. that's not really helpful and instead thinking about what is the narrative there's an overarching narrative that scripture tries to tell and you know it's a it's a big sprawling narrative and some parts of the narrative are more important than others so mm-hmm. um how do how do we do it so that was sort of I, I use that question since scripture is not super clear about pets and or animals and heaven and such. And I know there are people who right. believe strongly one way or the other. And I try to give a model of a different way to think about how we come to an answer or at least mm-hmm. a direction. So, so right. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I think it went pretty well. I was I was pretty pleased. Good. Yeah, you know it's um, it's not and that I sit there and I. Tough... Yeah, go ahead. So it's yeah, tough. That's one. always a tough topic to go into because it's it's something that you know people you know there's some emotion and some some feeling attached to it. It's not it's not a question that's asked out of usually just sheer curiosity. Right. Um, I mean, sometimes right. it is, but it's often asked because of, you know, with some feeling behind it. Yeah. It was, um, you know, um, among the group that was there, uh, only one person didn't have a pet um, and wasn't a, wasn't an animal person. One person had had pets, but was, um, ambivalent towards them. The rest, they all mm-hmm. had pets they loved dearly, and a number of them had lost pets. And so it was a question of like, so they this was something that they had all wrestled with. Thankfully, none of them had had a pet that had died this past week. So that was good. It was some stuff done yeah. before the crisis hits, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh, we had a lot. We had a good conversation. It was all about people were questioning, asking questions around. All right, well, what's the nature of heaven? What's the nature of souls? Do animals have souls? Um, you know, so we got into Plato and Augustine and how they screwed it up. And now, um, so you know, what is this? What is this mm-hmm. movement? How do we do? What's it look like? So it was good. Um, I was I was intrigued. Most I think most of the folks were connected. Um, I think there were a couple glazed looks from here and there every once in a while, but you know, <laughs> but we tried to get into like okay, so this this is an area right where it's not real clear on uh, from a scriptural standpoint. So are there other questions that uh, 
also exists, right? You know, and typically right. things like, well, like what happens when human beings start genetically engineering? Like what, what is the story that scripture is trying to point out about God and how God connects with us and what that means? And so thinking in terms of the narrative, which I think is what we do a lot, right? When we, when we think right. about mm-hmm. comics, movies, etc what is the what's the what's the narrative that becomes important because right every narrative makes a truth claim said my theology professor in seminary and that is one thing i agreed with him about i agreed with a lot of things uh, mm-hmm. about him but that he, that he but <laughs> just to be clear i didn't disagree with that he was a very smart man but we had some stark differences so well that's as you should right yes differences i think are are better than we expect it's differences when i went to seminary made me a much better person than a whole lot of similarities yeah i agree i agree so uh sam i got something a little bit new for us today um i am Mm -hmm. a uh a hat tip to my uh to the pub theology um mailing list they'll they send out a weekly email on mondays right um and it gives me a list of questions mm-hmm. and i use that in some small uh small discussion groups um that i have around so this week's uh there are usually because they come out weekly they're usually connected to um <laughs> they are usually connected to things that have happened uh so like last week's uh um email had to do with what do you do when at the national prayer breakfast when a pastor gets up and talks about how we're supposed to love our enemies? And the president get up, president gets up and says, oh, "Actually, I disagree with that." Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that was That's an interesting conversation. Wimps. That's for whims. Um, but here's the this is a great one uh, to this this week's uh, uh, the week of February seventeenth. This one came out of the blue. I wasn't ready for this one. Did you know? that Mattel has introduced a new line of, of Barbies. I know you have boys okay. and, and you might not be up on the I'm hippest, unaware of such things. newest. Bar- right. Well, I have a daughter, but she is blissfully unaware of Barbie or she, you know, she has got a couple, but it's not her thing. She's all about yeah. Pokemon, which is great. If you bring her, if I bring her a stuffed Pokemon as a souvenir from anywhere I go, she's happy. Right. But, Here's a new line of Barbies. Self-care Barbies. Self-care Barbies? Self-care Barbies. There's a spa, a spa doll Barbie, right? Uh, Uh She comes with a a robe, plenty of magazines to read, and as the email says, an adorable cucumber sunglasses. Cucumber sunglasses? Yeah, you know, because you put the sun, the cucumbers on your eyes at the spa. Oh, like, okay. Right? I was, See, so I couldn't picture oh. that at all. Okay. <laughs> you were thinking like a cucumber in front, a whole cucumber in front of her face. No, like pieces exactly. of cucumber. Yeah, no, over her <laughs> eyes. Yes. <laughs> yes, they put an entire cucumber in front of her eyes. 
Um, was like, lengthways, it goes side to side. Cumber sunglasses. That's kind of where my brain. <laughs> that's that's funny. Welcome that's to really how funny. my brain works. My brain right on, man. With boys, yes, yes. Then there's a fitness doll whose form-fitting gym kit comes with a protein bar that her plastic esophagus is unable to consume. Um, then there's a pampering doll who gets bath products and a loofah. And finally, there's a wellness dream doll who has a pillow and a sleep mask. And all dolls come with adorable puppies. Ah. So here's, this is from the press and, release. Oh, good. Good. No, and that it that's to encourage, I guess, encourage self-care. Well, okay. So here's from, this is from the press release. Um, the collection teaches girls daily routines that promote that promote emotional well-being and includes three key themes: meditation, physical well-being, and self-care. Because Barbie knows to be one's best is to give yourself the best care. Now, I, honestly, I am all for self-care. I think self-care uh, in in the group that we were talking today using this, I was like, when I was growing up, we didn't talk about self-care. Right, you didn't feel good, mm-hmm. right? If I didn't feel good and I didn't want to go to school, my dad was like, "Suck it up and get out the door." Like, yeah. self care you know. was was taking a bath, <laughs> right? <laughs> <clears throat> Look, I had a steelworker dad who was actually, I think, pretty good, given the other dads that I saw around a lot. But, um, oh, I had a steelworker dad, dad too. You know, right on, and, man. Uh, yeah, we had we had the uh, now. Did you have the uh, the shower in the basement? <laughs> no, I had a mobile home, so we had no basement. Oh, okay. See, we yeah, had yeah. we had the uh, the shower in the basement <laughs> that you went down into, you know, after we were done working in the barn and yeah. uh, and whatever that you just took everything off, took a shower down there in the, the in the big wide open of the basement, and they threw clothes down <laughs> at you. <laughs> that's right i was stunned to hear that that was called the pittsburgh shower or the the pittsburgh bathroom yes. or uh you know and i'm like mm-hmm. what do you mean that's just normal no it's that's just not. that's that's the bathroom <laughs> that's that was normal for pittsburgh and nowhere else so, yeah yeah it was weird Absolutely. if you didn't have one yeah actually even when we when we uh my my parents uh <clears throat> got a, a modular home that they put on a foundation. They did not put a uh, shower in the basement, but my dad wasn't, wasn't a steel worker anymore at that point. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when the steel mills closed, there weren't any right. of those around. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but self care. So look, I'm all for self care, but what is it? Is it's a good thing that they know how to care for themselves. Right, that's important. Mm-hmm. But what does it say? Of that... all the things that Barbie could be teaching, I think self care is is one of the better things. Okay, I mean, I I would still rather see scientist Barbie, astronaut Barbie, you know. Oh yeah, kind of Barbies, but there is a there is a concern that um that I have that's like. Is adult life so 
stressful right now that we have to teach kids all about self-care before they get there because it, everyone is just one big ball of anxiety and stress and I don't know. There's just, I, I am, I am both amused and worried at, by this uh, self-care trend of Barbies, but mm. it, it's good. I, well, just... I, I do know that. Yeah. I've heard quite a bit about um, how, how much stress that kids are under in this generation, as opposed to our own, just from technology, from the higher expectations of classwork and uh, college planning and all those things and Mm -hmm. being overscheduled and all those things uh, have led to, you know, in, in, uh, in many cases, higher stress levels in, in kids along with environments and adults that don't take care of themselves and are more and more hostile to one another. So, and usually care, you know, take care of themselves traditionally by medicating through medication or alcohol or whatever bad habit you have at the time. Medication is good. I want to be really clear. Yes, I have medication. I have medication right. and medication is good. Medication is good. Yeah. So right. Self-medication in the form of alcohol and other things, not a great move, but yeah. No, exactly. right. I just, I, sorry. Th- this is so far where we're not, not playing. Around. I just, <laughs> I, I saw this today. Uh, we talked about this today and I felt like, um, <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm just, uh, I was kind of shocked that, oh, okay. Barbie is on the self-care, uh, kick. Not to mention it's also, it seems fairly, uh, white and privileged types of self-care. Um, oh, sure. <clears throat> well, Barbie's main audience. So. Anyway, mm-hmm. and everybody take and the everybody. That, please that take care of yourselves. Yeah, in ways that are meaningful for you. Um, whatever that means. Get some cucumber sunglasses. I mean, if you have to. So, if you have to, we, we are actually we are a little more uh, in in line with the the first conversation we were having before this, but. Uh, Today, uh, we want to hit on things that actually we've mentioned a couple times over the past couple episodes, um, sort of uh, in terms of geeking out. And did you have this on the the year in review list? Yes, I I had this. I think it was on the year of on, on the year in in review list as one of I think my highlights of the year. Um, or at least big events. I'm trying to remember exactly how we kind of put it out there, but yeah, the um, the House of X and Powers of Ten. Speaking of big sprawling narratives that um, are yeah. hard to digest the first time through, but um, are tasty and delicious nonetheless. Um, yeah. So Brian and I wanted to uh, sit down. He finally got a chance to. Um, 
read through uh, the the arc of the story once or twice. And I had, you know, been poking Brian here and here and there to like, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this because there's some really cool stuff in there. Um, and and you came to it more as a as a newcomer. Whereas yes, uh, I, I, you're, you're much more the DC person, correct? No, no. So actually over the past, I don't know. Let me just say over the past eight years, since I've, I've been here in Pittsburgh for eight years and, and, um, reading now, I actually, um, I've actually come back into the sort of the superhero world. I, I was reading a lot of, uh, a lot of image comics, um, for, for, or I have been reading my, a lot of image comics, uh, not superhero stuff necessarily. Um, but I am much more of, uh, I like uh, sci-fi stuff. So things like Paper Girls uh, is, a, is a favorite mm-hmm. or Vertigo titles like uh, Books of Magic. Uh, I was reading Astro City, uh, which has been a longtime favorite of mine. Um, and I had the, mm-hmm. I collected the run when they went through vertigo, uh, even though they're done now, uh, Hellboy, just love those. And so moving back into the, the superhero world, the X-Men, it was never just not something that I, I read a lot. Like when I really started collecting in the, in the nineties, um, there were, I, I don't know, a dozen two dozen different titles, you know, and uh, still kind of are right. X factor, X force, X men, you know, just, and so um, my main connection to the X men was the Saturday morning cartoon that was on Fox. That was sort of the, um, Mm -hmm. where that was sort of my entry into X men. Right. So um, to read this was, was it is a big sprawling narrative. That is a challenge. Um, but it's mm-hmm. it's worth it. It's a really good um, it's a really good story, but it takes a while for me to to digest. And so things like the um, what is it the Genosha genocide? Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. I like. I don't Genosha. even know what that Genosha. Okay. That is um, right. I get it. There's genocide. A lot of mutants were killed, but I don't really know the fullness of it. But it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. there's I, there's enough there for me to extrapolate what that means, particularly in this narrative. Right, and it, and it it was helpful in that you don't necessarily you can start from scratch there and pick up the story. Um, if you have the backstory or some of the you know, at least even eighty percent of it. I mean one of the things that Hickman did was he pulled stories and characters and minutia out of Marvel history that people had, you know, I think a lot of people had long forgotten about um, and turn those things into uh, like turn one, <laughs> the, the one character who was, was a complete throw off character. I think, you know, back in the series was, you know, lovingly named gold balls and turned him into one of the most powerful <laughs> characters in the whole in in the whole in the whole thing and 
you know, people were like, it, it was interesting whenever he showed up in uh, House of X, people, you know, were suddenly Googling, who the heck is Gold Balls? And coming up with all kinds of wonderful things, I'm sure. But um, yeah, it was just this I'm kind sure of they were. throw-off character. And uh, and Hickman turned it, you know, turned him into the the source of uh, of re- regeneration for uh, the X Men, and that was the the big game changer of one of the big game changers of the whole of that series. Yeah, that's a, it is a that is a big point in the story. So um, let, let's not I, maybe we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, or maybe folks already know, but yeah, I, that's. Um, How do we want to approach this? Because, and, well, I, let's let's start by saying obviously we're going to uh, talk a lot about House of X and Powers of Ten. If it's been pretty, it's been a while since it's been finished up. So, I would say if you don't want spoilers, you know, stop now. But I think a lot of it's it's been out there long enough. If you have an interest in this, you've read it probably a few times by now. So. I'm I'm going by that we're just going to go by common knowledge at this point. Yeah, and I think that's fair. If you're going to be like, don't be like, well, you you ruined the whole thing for me. Like, look, just deal with. You should have dealt with that a long time ago. I think if you yeah. or or um, stop now. But anyway, or stop yeah. now. Yes, press the pause button. Go to your friendly local comic store. Get the get either the collected series, all in one hardback volume. Our friend uh, mm-hmm. Andy Walsh says it's only sixty dollars, <laughs> and uh, or go find all the issues, borrow them from a friend, whatever, and go read them, and then come back and listen. So, um. Well, and yeah. you know, given that the that the collection is is sixty dollars, and how much the cost of each individual book was, it's probably about e- close to even. So, it might be a, it might be a right because it's for twelve the collection just because it's a collection. Yeah, twelve books. Yeah, it's twelve. Yeah, you're you're pushing. You're probably pushing easy four bucks a pop. I guess if it's five bucks a pop, it's sixty bucks, yeah. huh? So, mm-hmm. yep. So take that. Yeah. So, good point. Yeah, one of the things. So I think one of the things obviously I wanted to bring up and I uh, pushed out to you a little bit was the whole idea of resurrection in this series, because it how they how they treated it was I think such a a game was such a game changer not just to the x-men titles but i think it's going to you know change how it changes how the x-men interact with the world in general um because what was revealed in house of x and powers of 10 is that um professor xavier has been through cerebro his uh you know supercomputer uh mutant finding uh, helmet contraption has been able to not only locate mutants and, you know, cyan, uh, using his uh, psionic abilities to communicate with them and track them down and so on, 
but has been actually able to use Cerebro as uh, a data storage device and storing the uh, the memories. The I, I'm I blanking on the actual terms that he used, but you know he didn't say soul, but um, basically almost like the the essence of that particular mutant and storing it and then using the combined powers of five other mutants um, to bring back literally any mutant that could that they have information on and not just the psychic information but also biological information which as we find in the in the story um, mr. sinister who's the master geneticist is been collecting genetic data on every single mutant he can find. Right. And it, it's been interesting because now that you know, when you, when that's in, when that's sort of revealed, you can, a lot of people kind of went back retroactively and said, when you read the old, you know, the older comics in that light, it makes it very interesting that, mm. you know, this was something that was long in the, long in the process. And so by being able to raise mutants from, from the dead over and over again, um, they have, uh, they have defeated death. And in doing so, um, it, and one of the things that, that uh, Hickman said um, afterwards, you know, there was an interview that I read with him where he said that, uh, you know, there was in, in comics, death was kind of getting cheap. You know, we had the death of Superman. We had the death of Captain America. We had the death of almost every character that you could consider, you know, major character, I think, except maybe for Batman had died at some point. Um, And so then bringing those characters back, you know, was often problematic because you had to figure out how was this person going to come back and why and um, all of the ins and outs of, of that and the, the questions about, oh, are they going to stay dead or how long are they going to stay dead or how are they going to come back and all that. Where what Hickman did was he just brought all of that out, all of this, the hidden machinations that go you know in the editorial room, brought those right into the story where here's how they're brought back and here's how how it happens and this is what it means to the world in general now right um, you don't have to so, they don't have to worry about uh the uh any sort of retconning they don't have to worry about resets or multiverse they don't have to worry about all of the things that um all of the devices that comic writers use to bring back a character, right? Um, right. Because either either people either characters never die, or when they die, they come back. Um, in with some hand wavy explanation, but this this isn't yeah. just a hand wavy explanation. I mean, this is a really well thought out sort of structure, right? Gold balls. There's a process. He makes, his, a process he makes involved. These, 
you get these gold balls, which actually, oh, hey, by the way, those are eggs. Mm-hmm. Then, then the then the um, is gold balls part of the five, or is is he just give the eggs? Yes, and gold then, balls part of the five. He's part of the five, yeah, right. He, and so then, yeah, it's just all sort of the five work together and uh, bring this bring this life about, and it's it's amazing. And they talk about how they make. Mm-hmm. I, I always think about. I was thinking about the Cerebro, right? It's sort of a backup. It's sort of like when you take the, when you take the image of your hard drive, right? You don't. You take right. that. That all of that. Basically, everything you need to replicate the stuff on your hard drive, is captured. <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't take up as much space as the hard drive. You're like, how does that happen, right? So. <laughs> I get it. That's right. But I mean, that's how I sort of was thinking about this backup, right? And so they have, and they have like weekly backups of everybody, right? Because right. uh, Forge, right? They bring Forge in, and Forge is like, oh, well, let's see, how do you have to do it? We, I mean, it's not just one time. It's got to, you got to keep doing that. And so, mm-hmm. no, it's really. And then not only is there, a, there, there's a failsafe for Xavier as well, whereas. You know, well, what you know, the, because the question brings up, you know, well, the weakest link is Xavier because if you kill Xavier, then the whole thing shot. Or if you kill any of the five, then the, you know, can you bring any one of the five back if the five aren't aren't there? So, but then even that's dealt dealt with later on. I think. Well, they they didn't really deal with if what if you know proteus or elixir or hope summers you know if they get killed how do we bring them back but i imagine there's some kind of you know somewhere that's been thought of um but and and the the thing that that does is it and the thing that struck me and one of the things i i wanted to, to to mention was that Typically, whenever, you know, a character, you know, has this sort of, you know, that they're invincible, that they can't die, there's the sense that they will throw themselves into into battle, that that their life becomes cheap. And that they'll just, you know, oh, sure, I'll just dive into this, you know, flaming pit because I'll just get resurrected afterwards. And in the people that, you know, are part of the process, you know, don't have, you know, the same level of feeling or connection there. And that's not the case at all in here. I really like the way that, that they wrote it in terms of, you know, when, when, uh, when the away team goes to the mother mold, um, in orbit around the sun to take it out and they all get killed um, you know, Xavier is just broken to his core. Um, you know, he weeps. He says, you know, this is that, you know, this can never happen again, but then he brings them all back. And it's, it's a very, you know, that's still, and it, it reminded me of, in a way, the, uh, the scene of, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I just no, no. That's right. Go ahead. Keep, please go. I, but I was, I was thinking that same, no. that same line of that the Jesus weeps, right? And to show, right. 
for for uh, to show sort of an, and prefigure Jesus' own resurrection, he um, he raises Lazarus from the dead, right? So here, mm-hmm. um, still, but he still he weeps. He's angry. He's he's you know his mm-hmm. guts are he's heartbroken because of yeah yeah and he like Xavier sees these as his children. Um, and especially, you know, um, Scott and Jean and, you know, those were the, you know, his two of his original students and they're the ones that he has dealt with the most and the ones who have looked up to him probably the most and, you know, they get killed in rather horrifying manner. Yeah. I, that was one thing. So it's important that. I mean, if folks haven't read it or don't know, right? This is done in multiple timelines. Um, it's a, it is bits and pieces. There's, it is not a linear narrative. Um, mm-hmm. and at first I felt like that was that was complicated, uh, and maybe not worth it. But at the end, it really is because everything that's going on is is still within the battle between humanity and mutants and right. who wins that struggle. Um, and so that's where, that's where this, yeah, right. This mother mold battle takes place within that, uh, within that narrative. But um, every once in a while, Charles Xavier says something like, I have something bigger in, in mind. And mm-hmm. it's not just an establishment of a mutant nation, right, on Krakoa. Um, it's something bigger. Right. So, and this is what it is. A, a whole new community that approaches death with a completely different viewpoint. And and they approach life even with a different viewpoint um, because yes. they they see themselves they you know part of the um, resurrection protocols well and not the resurrection protocols but you know the the rules of of Krakoa one of them is that you you cannot you you cannot kill another mutant and you cannot kill a human because humans cannot be resurrected. Yeah, and you know, if if a human kills a, a mutant, that's you know that's one thing, but hu- but mutants are not to kill humans because they don't have the the power of you know to be re- resurrected, and so they approach. It, it's a very different approach from one of the things I thought. You know, there was this constant cycle of. You know, they kill us, we kill, you know, we kill them, they kill us, we kill them. And that's, that's been, you know, running through, that's, you know, run through comics and novels and movies and everything, you know, the, the, the cycle of um, violence and and revenge. And what, what Xavier does is takes that and, basically says no because we're we are better than that now we we have gone beyond we're not trying to 
they've come from trying to be accepted by humans, which was Xavier's dream, to being over humans, which was Magneto's dream, which was to, and now they're at the point of, you know, living separately but alongside humans in a non like kind of a one-way relationship and you know that xavier and them are like we don't need you for anything (laughs) yeah we have stuff you that that you that you can use and that we will give you all that we need from you is recognition and sovereignty you know that's all that they're asking that's what they're asking for and that's you know they're not asking for um you know anything they're not asking for a seat at the table you know in the un or, or well maybe, maybe they are actually but they're not asking to be equal to humans anymore they're not asking to live in human society right so it's it's interesting to see where where that goes and um and and how they create their own culture and in a sense it's it's not a it's not a, a religion but they have their own rituals they have it's um the 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 ritual when the um uh when a mutant is reborn they have a ritual there where they are brought out right from the the hatching chamber by storm to and is is uh presented to the rest of uh the island of 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 krakoa and there's a ritual that they do and they're welcomed by the the inhabitants the 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 five are you know revered as part of you know this ritual and so on so it's it's a interesting way of you know that they do it they could just hey we have this thing and we pop people out of it whenever you know we need to um but you know the the process of of regeneration and uh resurrection is very much a part of their culture and and the the whole resurrection you know that that ritual has a lot of parallels i think to um, our concept of, you know, when we, you know, of entering into heaven and, and Krakoa is very much a kind of literal heaven. It was stunning for me, right? I read through it, read through the whole, all 12 issues, um, got to the end, got the payoff. Cool. Went back looked back start just started through the beginning of the first issue house of x1 because you they don't that you have to read them in a particular order mm-hmm. and the very opening of uh house of x number one is literally the a scene in the garden and mm-hmm. it of it totally evokes uh an Eden uh, feeling and it, and the scene at the end of revelation, right? Those, those mm-hmm. gardens, those garden scenes 
then when you throw in resurrection, right, it's, it's, you're back to the John's resurrection account where Mary runs into the gardener. Oh wait, that's Jesus. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, the, the, the resonances there are <laughs> impossible to miss. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you are already clued into that. And it's it's hard to think it's hard to think about. I know there's a lot of ways to read uh, mutants uh, in terms of um, sort of uh, communities uh, on what the they edge and who they represent. Right? Yeah. yeah right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's easy to read the mutants, particularly in the um, the X Men movies, right from the uh, from the nineties, right? Those, uh, mm-hmm. I think clearly there, there's definitely a, a feeling that it's, you know, there's a connection to LGBT communities, right? Um, mm-hmm. a lot of similar language that gets used. So it brings that out. But in this one now, with this whole move around resurrection, to look and to see, what does this say about, the church and a community that exists within the world, but also remains, that has a distinct practice and, and connection to stuff around it. Mm-hmm. Because we're dealing with issues of resurrection and um, how we engage that. So I, right. Yeah, that's very interesting because I think you can easily you you could see the metaphor of how um, the X Men and mutants in general have related to humanity in similar ways as to how um, mutants or how Christians have related to the world and Christians have seen the world as something that needs to be conquered obviously and as something that is a threat and something that is uh you know that is always going to be hostile to you so you need to always be on your guard against them um and the world in the same way has has been um antagonistic and disrespectful and not accepting of, of Christians um, in various different ways um, and various different times and, and so on. Um, and we also see how Christians have tried to um, sort of cozy up to power and become acceptable that way. And, you know, play by, let's play by the world's rules yep. and, see if that may, you know, and, and see how that goes for us. And that, and that's, and we're in in that kind of boat today. I think many see that. Um, And it's interesting that the third way that we see here in um, House of X is this uh, sufficiency 
it was maybe as a better is the best word I could think of it right now, where, you know, the where the, the mutant mutant kingdom is a place that is sufficient for everyone, regardless of whether you're a hero or a villain. Even though, but you know, you cannot be a villain on on Krakoa, as we see with um, uh, Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Yeah, the, the the first example of okay, what do we do with the ones that are not going to play by the rules of you know that we've established, um, and I think and so there's that that sense of um, knowing how knowing knowing who you are and being confident of that and being being sure of who you are. And being a being a gift to the world in many ways, while not being dependent on it. Yeah, it it makes me feel um, it makes me think uh, deeply of uh, Howard Watson Williman's Resident Aliens. Have, have you have you read that? No. So. Um, <clears throat> The main the main point within Resident Aliens, I think, is that um, the church does not have a social ethic, but that the church is a social ethic. That it is a specific community rooted in Jesus, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's uh, a book I read my first semester of seminary uh, that literally reshaped the way I think about what it means to to be the church, right? And mm-hmm. um, rooted in Hauerwas's notions of virtue ethics and habits and practices that we that we inhabit, um, that this mutant community now is something completely different. Um, they're not mm-hmm. playing the same games that the world around them are playing. They are going to they are going to give them. Uh, um, marvels um but they just have to give them space the world has to give the mutants space have to give that nation space mm-hmm. um, and it's it's absolutely interesting particularly around the fact that um right Sabretooth has suddenly we watch him in the beginning as he goes through and he just completely rips through guards at a at a at an at a facility, and in, um, <clears throat> Cyclops does uh, the Fantastic Four apprehend Sabretooth and don't um, don't want to hand him over to Cyclops to when up. he shows, yeah. right? And Cyclops goes fine. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll do it another way, um, and he leaves. Right? He doesn't go after it, and then. Uh, The mutants don't just say, "Well, that amnesty, we're not gonna, we're not gonna deal with that, right? We are gonna deal with it, but it is a, it is a justice that we are are going to. It's not going to be a justice that comes from another community that doesn't understand us. Um, and so, right, the uh, mm-hmm. humanity would would either have imprisoned or executed Sabretooth, which I, I guess they couldn't execute Sabretooth, right? But whatever. Um, yeah. And instead, 
uh, the mutant, I, I felt like the mutant sentence was harsher than anything that could have been. Cause oh, it's yeah. ex- exiled yeah. into the heart of Krakoa for eternity, basically. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which kept, also kept in. Go ahead. You're you're kept in, in suspended animation. You're aware, but you're unable to do anything. Which which that I sounds think, so much like to, C.S. Lewis's notion of hell, right? In so the hell, complete and utter separation yeah. from God. And and it's interesting that you know with with Sabretooth, you know he's been the character who has always, he's just a character always resorting to violence for everything. That's his, that's his MO. He has no regard for life at all. And so his punishment is to be constantly alive, but with no means to act or react. Cause that's the only way he's known to operate is to just act you know, kill, maim, hurt, use, whatever, destroy. And he, and his, his punishment is to have that taken away from him, but he still, he has to be aware that that's taken away from him. And it also shows, I think, interesting, you know, what is considered irredeemable in, uh, the new, the new um, land of 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 uh, Krakoa is uh, is Sabretooth. but you know characters like you know Apocalypse especially, um, you know are are redeemable, and there's so many there's there's the one scene where all these you know uh, characters from the past or you know villains big and small. You're, you know, welcome home. <laughs> you're, you're welcome to come here. Right. Which I think ultimately will be interesting as the, as the story unfolds, as they continue down this path. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I just got a sense. There was a sense of foreboding, uh, at near the, um, I think it was, uh, House of X six, um, but it was uh, everybody is celebrating, and Apocalypse is just standing in the shadows, watching. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it was just it was an interesting moment. Um, he, he there were plenty of places, a little bit of foreshadowing, I think, of him going, "I whatever, I, that this is not of my concern." do what you want. Mm-hmm. Even though he's sitting on the, the ruling council and uh, just, it's fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, cause you know, they don't, they're like, okay, what we have is Xavier says, what we have isn't perfect, but it's a start. And all right, here are our laws and uh, make, make more mutants, uh, kill no humans. Can't remember what the third one is. Right. But that's it. You know, and that's sort of their charter. Um, oh, um, uh, honor, honor, Krakoa is sacred land. Ah, right, 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 right. So, 
Yeah. You you mentioned the the, the scene that you thought um, was it uh, Cyclops talking to Gene uh, about, uh, and I think yeah. this is really I was trying bring to... that up again. Yeah, and I was trying to find it, and I'm sure someone else who's listening might have the you know have it more uh, readily available in their brains. But uh, there was a scene where they were talking about um, resurrection and just the importance of that, and the 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 conversation between Scott and Gene went along the lines of now that you know that now that we can basically not be killed it it doesn't make you value your life less it makes you want to give your life for your friends and i thought that was such a great take on that and something that um like i i mentioned to you brian that's a that is a very christian notion in terms of how we can respond to the gift of eternal life is that we can now give our, give ourselves free leave to people. We don't need to hoard it to ourselves. Right. I, that, and, uh, yeah. I missed that. I haven't been able to find it. Um, I'm, so, I'm wondering if it was in one of the, uh, the follow-up issues like X-Men or, or something or something. It, it may not have been in that particular series, which may be, why I can't maybe find not it. might it may not have been one of the like a follow-up issue but anyway I do remember seeing it somewhere right so I think that is um really a good take on uh Christian understanding of of resurrection that it's not just freedom from our notion of, of resurrection isn't freedom from the world right it, it's freedom from the the bondage we have to the broken relationships that sin brings about so that we might be free for engaging that brokenness and bringing about wholeness right so i i i i love that notion in that in that situation that it is again so rich and layered yeah. with Christian uh, sort of understanding. It's yeah, not not blatantly, and nothing that you would say would be you know re- overtly religious. But there are so many religious themes and things to draw from in there, in regarding the relationship of. Uh, just mutants to life now that they have a a home that is a that is a paradise that they need not fear death anymore um and what that means when when that is actually lived out i'm i am super glad that you wanted us to talk about it because this is uh, um, I don't. I don't know that I'm jumping in and buying more or, or getting into other uh, uh, more of the story. We're waiting for just sort of uh, collected uh, things to come out. But um, this bit, House House of X and Powers of Ten, are fantastic. 
it's it's great to have a series that you can read over and over and over again and still get stuff out of it and still pick oh, yeah. things out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm still in some of the follow-up series as well. Um my bank account right. is taking a huge hit from all the follow-up <laughs> theory, so uh, is, uh, I'm trying to. I, so he, I told I told Jeff today. At, it's like I need to tone this down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Does um not Hickman isn't writing all of them, right? This is now farmed out to other writers, he's, isn't it? He's writing. Um, he's writing X Men, and he's also. Um, I forget the other title he's writing. It's escaping me right now. Um, he's writing two of them, but yeah, it is kind of farmed out to a number of other writers and, and illustrators, obviously. Um, it's, some of them are really good. I, and oh, like, good. um, I've always been, a, I've always been a fan of the, the new mutants. That's probably what I was most into when I was back in the, you know, back in the eighties, even more than the X-Men. And, uh, bringing that that title into this world with the characters and so on and a really good sense of humor um just is is great to have awesome and well uh, yeah it's there's a lot of really good stuff that yeah i absolutely cannot recommend it uh enough it is a, uh, it is meaty and um, it's not a simple comic book read. Um, this one is really good. So, good call, mm-hmm. good call, Sam. Very well done. Um, but it is um, time for us to wrap up. And uh, what are you geeking out about beyond the X Men? I am. Ge- Beyond the X-Men, I am geeking out that I heard they're bringing Battlestar Galactica back. What? Did you, you mean hear that? You did not hear no, this. No, I have not heard this. They, they are on, I read this like maybe two days ago that um, NBC with their new streaming service, Peacock, is going to be bringing back Battlestar Galactica. And apparently it's not another reboot. It's set in the same universe as the previous series, you know, Caprica and uh, the 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 two thousand series. Yeah, BSG. Um, yeah. Yes, and uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure yet if it's a if it's another prequel, if it's a side story, or what. But it's definitely set in that universe. And so I'm all up for that. Wow. Now, like, now I have to get this streaming service. so <laughs> Or find other ways to watch it. <clears throat> I mean, whatever that might be, that would be impossible. Whatever that means. There could be no other ways to find things that are on streaming services. Who would do such a thing? Oh, such a shame. Such a shame. Hmm. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, yes. That's definitely definitely worth uh, paying attention to because 
That that 2000 series was great. Had some weirdness. I'm curious but... to see how it goes. Oh, weirdness is fine. Um, I'm kind of curious to see if it, how it compares to, or you know, like how um, Discovery has been received, um, and Picard, and so on. And is this yeah. another? Can this be another universe that they build off of? So, yeah. Cool. And nice. you, Brian. So, um, last week, uh, last weekend, I was on a little bit of a road trip. My uh, daughter uh, does speed skating here in Pittsburgh, um, and uh, she's part of the the Pittsburgh Speed Skating Club. And uh, <clears throat> she had a meet down in the DC area, and Sam, I was shocked. All of my podcasts were done and listened to, and I didn't have anything like to listen to for <laughs> eight hours of driving. Right. I had a little bit of one mm-hmm. podcast, right. But it wasn't going to last me and I had nothing else. And, um, so I jumped on, uh, on my overdrive app and, uh, looked quickly for a audiobook from the library that I could listen to. And, Mm-hmm. Um, as I went, I went to the fiction, I went to fantasy, started looking through stuff and uh, did not. Well, there were a lot, there were a lot of things, right? Filter available now, uh, yeah, audiobook. And uh, right. wouldn't, you know, wouldn't you know it? Um, a lot of them, they're like 15, 13, 20 hours. I'm like, I don't want anything that long. And I find a collection of short stories. Um, it was like seven hours and, uh, you know, I, I listened that I'm a monster. I listened at one and a half times speed. And, um, <laughs> so I, uh, it just goes a little quicker. Um, but, uh, I found this collection of short stories named, uh, uh called, uh, all the names they have for God. And the author's name, uh, is, uh, Anjali Suchdeva. Um, and I saw actually that it was, um, it was well received. It was uh, written in 2018, um, and in 2019 it won, uh, uh, an award and, uh, I don't remember what that award is now. Right. But it didn't matter to me. It was a collection of short stories, which I thought, well, you know, that's like, listen to a bunch of podcasts. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, that book is really good. Um, they, it's a, uh, hmm. you might want to think about talking about that book. Uh, but, uh, the really, the really cool thing is, is then I looked up the author, right. And it starts talking about how she's a writer. She teaches writing and she taught at Carnegie Mellon, which is right. Uh, directly oh, as I'm si- sitting yeah. right now, directly to my left. And then it says, and now she is a full-time professor at Pitt. Which is ah, directly to my right as I'm sitting right in your wheelhouse. Yes, I uh, right, <laughs> um, and uh, I am like, okay, how do I not get all creepy? Now I'll go and stalk her and go, hey, your book is really great. No, but so the stories are they have a in some ways they have sort of a Twilight Zone feel. Um, there's there's it's definitely falls not under fantasy i mean it was listed under fantasy on the on the uh, app uh in the library app but 
Um, magical mm-hmm. realism would be another way to talk about it. Um, there are things as I as I uh, read it, there there are stories that had fae elements to them. One of them, one of the stories actually takes place in Andrew Carnegie's steel mill here in Pittsburgh, uh, and uh, mm. yeah, uh, that one is. I like that one a lot. Um, there's uh, uh, there's a there's a really just there's a there's like seven or eight stories in this in this book, and they're they are all winners. I don't expect usually in a collection of short stories to like everything. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, there's not a story that um in this book that I did not like. It's fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. Hmm. Uh, all the names they have for God. Uh, one of the stories is um, all the names for God is a is a story about uh, two uh, two young women who had been uh, uh, kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria, and how they so they escape okay. and you know they have uh, there's a there's a sort of a, a, a magical element to the story, uh, just. It's so it's so good. Oh, just so much. So well, that is what I am geeking out. That out. I I think you'd really like it. Um, it's a it's um. I'm so glad that I was like, well, it's the right time length for me. So sometimes the fates are kind, right? <laughs> and what's and what's the title again? All the names they have for God. All the names for have for God. Angeli Angeli Suchdeva A N J A L I S A C H D E V A is her name. Um, yeah. So huh, okay. Super book. Super book. I'm, I'm Ooh, glad I didn't know anything looks... about it. Hmm. Yep, I will definitely have to check that out. I just pulled it up online and so I should definitely have to check that out. Yeah. All right. So, uh, as always, uh, feel free to connect with us on uh, uh, Facebook at uh, at um, Church of the Geek. Get us on Twitter. That's where we are most active, uh, both at Geek Church. Or you get me at, at uh, Brian underscore O underscore Bennett. Um, Sam, you're at Rev and S. I am Blair. At Rev S. Blair. Yeah. And. Um, yep. We are uh, always willing to uh, talk with folks, and uh, you have an idea, please drop uh, a line for us. And I want to tell everybody uh, that right now, September 19th is uh, September 19th, 2020, uh, Theocon uh, Steel City Edition. It is happening here in Pittsburgh. Um, We are already uh, planning as well underway for it. Uh, Definitely want to check it out. Uh, you can get that uh, on Twitter at Theocon. Is that at Theocon Live, I believe, or is it just at Theocon? Theocon Live, I think, is the. Uh... Yeah, it's Theocon Live. Oh yeah, and and the Twitter is at Theocon Live. So, um, that is uh, keep keep track of what's going on there. You can actually buy your tickets right now. Uh, the uh, the registration is up and running, so 
Most excellent. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, Sam and I will be there. Um, this year, we're definitely going to have a table. I don't know if we have a uh, um, uh, a panel uh, planned yet or not, but um, it will be uh, – uh, there, there are already folks that are going to be there who are going to have some really good stuff. So um, looking forward to it mm-hmm. immensely. So um, everyone have a great week. Uh, and as always, geek be with you. And with your spirit.